0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rising Tide Podcast, where we seek to explore how people, companies, and nonprofits can lead lives of purpose and lead them well. I'm really excited for today's guest. Uh, Sarah Porritt is the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Omnicom Media Group, a leading global media network where she is responsible for for putting rigor behind the shared Omnicom mission of attaining equal representation, development, support, and retention of all underrepresented groups. Expanding her advocacy beyond the walls of OMG, Sarah is on the board of the Four A's Foundation, Mm -hmm. supporting D, E, and I in the industry and is a mentor for She Runs It, supporting career development for women in advertising. She gets a lot more interesting, folks, She is an R&B singer. Uh, I hear she has a single on YouTube with over 4 million views. I have not watched it yet, but it is coming right after we record this. A music producer, she's a yogi. Um, She might be interested in knowing that I can barely touch my toes these days. Um, And in her spare time, Sarah is dedicated to capturing and sharing stories of those who have also traversed the road not taken and is the host and creator of Hear Us Roar a podcast featuring inspired conversations with fearless Asian women about how ideas and passions can ignite transformative journeys. Sarah, thank you for joining.
1: Sure, you have quite the podcast voice, I will say. <laughs>
0: well, well, thank you. You're the first guest that has said that. I'm going to have to go back and ask my all, all my other guests if they agree. I have um, a feeling
1: I'm not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for coming on here. Um, You know i we this this podcast is really about purpose and you you read through that bio and it doesn't sound like you have any shortage of that in your life um so let's kick it off what's the most purposeful moment or event in your life professional or personal
1: i mean i feel like that's such a big question and really hard to boil down um i'm sure your past guests have probably said the same and i feel like personally my purpose has shifted over the years Um, I know prior to us hitting record, we talked a little bit about parenthood. So for sure, now in my late thirties, I have a different moment that I think of when you ask me that question, you know, it's it's waking up to the sound of my kids um, at 5 (laughs) a.m., sometimes 4 a.m., but realizing that, you know, there's so much sacrifice in being a parent and that's become sort of my new purpose whether I like it or not, because they're now on this earth and I'm responsible for them, but that there's also so much joy and gratitude and being able to take care and mold them into the next generation of human beings, you know? Um, So that's, that's what I think of right away. But I feel like every decade of my life, it's been a different experience. Mm. You know, in my um, 20s, it was about, um, you know, Those big moments, winning in music, really, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, being able to triumph in an industry of individuals that don't quite look like me. Um, In my teens, it was about breaking out of my shell and being bullied. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, moments where I was told, oh, you know, I'll sit next to you on the bus um, because there's no other seats left. And those, I feel like the, you know, the common thread through all those purposeful moments is empathy um, and being able to acknowledge that, um, you know, even in the tough moments in life, um, there's something to be appreciated. Uh, And, you know, it's about how you pick yourself back up. But I I would say that, and I know I just shared three moments, if I can have one more moment, I think if I had to distill down to one specific moment that I will never forget um, is I was in an abusive relationship in my mid 20s. Um, I was no longer with this man, um, and we had reconnected at a Starbucks to check in with each other. And he decided to beat the pulp out of me um, in public. Wow. And, wow. you know, I was surrounded by a group of citizens. I'm sure they um, felt bad for me, wanted to do things. But no one really stepped up, including a plainclothes cop who I was surprised didn't step in. But I think there are some issues with domesticity and domestic violence and cops getting involved even in public um, instances. But I was really disappointed, to be honest with you, that the cop didn't step in because there were multiple hits. Um, so I got really, I became really distraught and I walked around Times Square, which was where the Starbucks was located. So very public location, um, was just trying to like collect my thoughts, collect myself and ended up sitting in a McDonald's and just trying to figure out what the heck happened, you know, really, um, really just connect with myself and, and, and calm myself down. And in that moment of vulnerability, um, someone who was very obviously homeless came into the McDonald's. I don't know for what, um, but he came up to me and he said, I can tell you're in a really low moment, but what I want you to do, what I want you to know is that you're a fighter. And I had a really low moment like yours. um, And someone, a a random stranger came up to me and handed me a stamp of a, a boxer. And he reminded me that I'm a fighter. So in seeing you where you are right now, I wanna give you this stamp. To remind you that you're a fighter. So he was passing on that goodwill. He was passing on that goodwill, um, and it was just, you know, the most surprising thing to 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 uncover that that beautiful moment, that beautiful person, that beautiful sentiment in that moment. And it it just built upon the empathy that I have. You know, never judge a book by its cover. You never know what people are going through. Um, gratitude and, you know, empathy lives within everyone. And it it just gave me so much insight into um, us as humans and how we have to treat each other um, and that we are a human tribe and a human family and what it means to really um, step in and step up for someone in a moment of need.
0: Wow. Um, Well, I feel like we could fill two hours just unpacking everything between uh, parenthood through the kindness of strangers. Um, in what you just led with, uh, thank you for for sharing that story. I'm sure that's hard to share. Um, I, I'm struggling even to go to 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 take that and run with it. But I'll start here. I, you know, I, I spent um, you know over a decade running a nonprofit organization that responded to disasters and humanitarian crises, and have spent countless days and weeks in disaster zones in every corner of the world, in every corner of the United States. And I think that was one of those things that always struck me, the remarkable kindness that lives Mm -hmm. within people and the willingness that people have as a stranger to reach out. And uh, we, we, we often phrased it at Team Rubicon about as like helping someone on their worst day recognizing the pain in someone else in our case you know someone suffering after a hurricane a wildfire a civil war and not being not staying on the sidelines right reaching out with that empathy that you mentioned um and just observing that time and again um the 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 remarkable ability of of strangers to to connect in those moments um it's so powerful
1: yeah, it's it's really incredible um, and thank you for the work that you did on Team Rubicon. I think we might have partnered with Team Rubicon on Mountain Dew when I worked on the business side of things. So. Yes, you were at Mountain Dew for that. Yes. Yeah, I was on the agency side.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I tell that story all the time. We That partnership was so great, it lasted for two or three years. Um, Incredible, you know, incredible to see what brands can do with with their platform to elevate, you know, these causes. Um, yeah, we can, we can get to that here in a Absolutely. second.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: so, so, you know, this this moment with this uh, this this uh, individual in the McDonald's, it clearly it's stuck with you. How has that maybe informed your professional work? I mean, you work now trying to uplift marginalized groups internally at OMG. Obviously, also with this nonprofit that it sounds as though uh, does, does similar work, maybe cross sectorally. Um, is that something that's always kind of in the back of your mind as you're looking at how you elevate these marginalized voices?
1: Yeah. And, you know, maybe we can start um, a little earlier into the beginnings of my career, because I'm I'm certainly not, as I mentioned earlier, a career DE&I person. Um, I have more years in the media and advertising side of things than I have in DE&I, but I will say that, um, you know, working and being an artist, being an R&B artist, frankly, um, has allowed me to realize that there are Voices that need to be uplifted, still um, where there's no representation. Um, so it's definitely given me purpose very early on in life. And transparently, I'll share that I got into the media and advertising industry because I wanted to figure out how to make, um, how to promote myself for a little to no money. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I came in with a purpose, you know. Interesting. Um, and that was my purpose for the, you know, first couple years. Um, and then my purpose within the industry started to shift because, um, as I got deeper into further up the ladder into my career, i I was realizing that sure, media and advertising is interesting, but now that I'm in it, you know, um, as much as I did find, um, the challenges that I was, that were put forth in front of me by my clients, very, um, very intriguing. Um, I, I, was seeking purpose elsewhere. Um, and I realized that, you know, even over the years, as I speak to more and more colleagues that a lot of them are, are feeling the same way. They're trying to find purpose in their work. Um, and sometimes, you know, my guidance to them is that purpose may live slightly outside of your work. And that's how I found the path to my current um, occupation. So, uh, I really wanted to take time to self-reflect, figure out my next steps, um, do something a bit more meaningful from a nonprofit standpoint within the media and advertising world. So I ended up um, just curating that in my day-to-day. I bought the oprah 21 day meditation challenge (laughs) basically set up a room and had everyone meditate with me that all of a sudden became part of our corpus wellness corporate wellness program Hmm. um we were um, you you know you you've you've, um been tangential or a part of the industry for a long time there's a lot of uh, entertainment that happens Uh, i started recommending to a lot of our um Friends in the um, publishing world, that why don't we do something more meaningful? You know, instead of just going out and drinking, why don't we volunteer and drink, <laughs> or why don't we help um, paint a school and drink? I know there's drinking so it happens a lot. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the more I opened up my aperture of what's possible within the scope of what it is that I do, um, the more I started to realize, oh my gosh, you know, they're they're really uh, you can really create your own purpose within within whatever industry it is that you're in, and I think that you know, the more I did that, the more um, leadership within organizations that I worked for started to take notice mm-hmm. of the work that I was doing. Um, and so I started, you know, becoming um, a part of our culture club. Uh, I started running our culture club when I was back at OMD, which is a media agency. Uh, and then from there, um, the head of DE and I became an actual title uh, and a need, and that's when I stepped into that role. So um, I really did come into it with this idea of um, wanting to be purposeful, building community, um, elevating com- uh, elevating voices that um, that don't maybe have that pedestal or that platform. And so that's really how I've I've brought purpose into my work at Omnicom Media Group is. Is exactly is exactly doing that, um, but I think having sort of this um, business history um, and you know uh, have, having or understanding the industry really having worked on the business side of things has allowed me to expand the aperture of DEI itself as well. Mm. So pulling in that purpose into um, how we engage with our clients and how we engage with diverse suppliers um, and how we um, do our research. Uh, I won't go into too many specifics, but really, you know, the scope of my work is that DEI is a lens through which we evaluate every aspect of our organization, which I feel like is very progressive of Omnicom yeah. Media to accept um, and allowed me to lead in that way. But that's truly um, how we look at DEI and the purpose that I'm bringing to our people and culture, but also our work and how we service our clients and our thought leadership.
0: That's great. Uh, you know, it's really um, remarkable how you've charted this path for yourself, kind of with this initial uh, revelation that uh, you wanted your work to be more purposeful. And you, 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 you had a, a moment there where you talked about you observed that a lot of your your colleagues wanted to have this purpose as well. And you know, obviously, this was a this was a, a foundational element in the motivation to to launch Groundswell. You know, my belief that. As these demographic shifts happen in the workforce, millennial and gen z it's clear um, it's heavily researched they want to have purpose alongside profit um, what's interesting though, and I'm curious your your opinion on this i'm not sure that they really know what that means what What do you think it means for because certainly you can't you know for every hundred people at at uh, omnicom, you can't have a hundred dei leaders um charting a purposeful career. so what are the other ninety nine people doing? find that purpose or what is it that they want to be doing?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a tough question, right? Cause I, I can't get into the minds of other people. Um, and I feel like, you know, what I would love to see the statistics of whether or not people feel like their day-to-day jobs actually align with their personal purpose. I right. would venture to say that if we were true to ourselves, um, mm, probably most of us can't say that, <laughs> um, you know, but, um, I think that there is room to help curate some of that purpose at work because um, even if we're coming in to collect a paycheck, right? We we still um, have chosen the professions that we've chosen for the most part um, and um, we can create an environment for those individuals to, to show up more authentically. Um, and I feel like the more that we can cultivate a community and a culture where people can feel vulnerable, that um, our leadership can um, uh, encourages and allows that to happen, Um, the more we can speak openly, share our ideas, the more we can start to lean into our purpose a bit more um, and contribute to the future of our organization. Um, Because if your voice isn't being heard and you don't feel comfortable coming to work, then you really, I mean, (laughs) that's really tough. Um, So I think, and you know, I think that also gets into the the question of what's you know the corporation's uh, responsibility in helping cultivate that purpose too. Right. So there, there's a lot of interesting things to dig into. Um, but I think that you know, in my position at least, my goal is to allow people to feel comfortable coming to work. I always think you know, if I can make their lives one percent better, make them feel one percent more courageous or comfortable, then I've I've done my job incrementally. <laughs> Yeah. even if I can't save the world, I've made someone's life just that much better, even if it's a small amount.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you hit on something important there, you know, earlier in the podcast, you, 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 when I asked what was the most purposeful moment of your life, and you talked about becoming a parent, I, you know, I think when people come and ask me about purpose, um, you know, I, I've I've been very fortunate, I've had you know i've started two purposeful companies I, I feel like i've had the luckiest you know I'm the luckiest guy in the world because i get to come to work every day and 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 you know make a make a living earn a wage uh trying to make the world a better place is like my sole responsibility and that's and that's mm-hmm. fun but it's also unique and when i when people ask me about you know how can they live more purposeful lives it, you know I, I i try to encourage them it doesn't have to be through work as you said you know if If you're showing up to work so that you can provide for your family you know a a safe home food on the table Mm -hmm. good school district like that that is that is a a vehicle for you to live that purpose but then it gets to what you said you know if if you're spending eight to ten hours a day uh you know earning those wages so that you can fulfill that purposeful part of your life which is your family but those eight to ten hours are spent in pure misery with uh, a bad boss or in a, a toxic work environment, then, you know, how how unfulfilled that mm-hmm. life must be. And, you know, I always challenge leaders, I always challenge bosses to, you know, think about the impact that they have holistically on the quality of someone's life. You know, yes, every company uh, in, you know, the capitalist society that we live in has an obligation to maximize shareholder value and all of this stuff. but. As leaders, we also have an obligation uh, to the people that are a part of that, that mission, that objective. And it, it is to help, I believe, at least, uh, help them to lead more fulfilling, more promising lives, help them to, to become that better version of themselves professionally, because that's ultimately going to help them be the best version of themselves when they go home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just I love how you, you frame that up.
1: If only every leader had the empathy that you have and the understanding, <laughs> I think the world would be a, a very different place. In a well, way maybe everyone. it's because I
0: ran a nonprofit for this, well, and there was no such you know.
1: thing as maximizing <laughs>
0: shareholder value at a nonprofit. So oh, maybe gosh. I'm about to get a, a rude awakening running running this for-profit venture. I don't know; remains to be seen. Um, so you're pretty you're pretty active uh, outside of work, um, beyond just you know being a mother, which is a full-time job. Um, I've got two of my own. Um, you're involved with a couple of nonprofits, uh, talk to me about the, the roles you have there and the missions that they're fulfilling.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the one that I'm most active in is the 4A's foundation board, which is, um, the nonprofit arm of the 4A's. So if you've heard of MAPE internship of their high school programs of, uh, Vanguard, um, which is essentially sort of their sponsorship program, mm. um, for, uh, Uh, you know, um, high to mid-level Black talent within the industry, um, it's incredibly purposeful because um, I think in joining the board for the 4A's foundation, I'm realizing that there's a lack of diversity um, in our industry um, because there's just no awareness. Um, I think we're all sort of Talking about diversity in some form or fashion in at media and advertising at the big organizations, and yet there's not enough individuals that are a part of media and advertising mm. for us to um, diversify our workforce in some ways. Mm. So, I think sort of think being a part of the board has helped me to think outside the box when it comes to how I even approach our day to day work. Um, for instance, we started really rethinking. Um, you know, if um, if that's the challenge here. Um, what can we do to to prime high school students, and what's our role there and responsibility there in getting them um, exposure to the media and advertising industry? Um, I started to think about, okay, what are some of the guardrails that we currently have in hiring that's preventing people from coming into the industry, um, and can we remove some of them, like mm-hmm. um, having a bachelor's degree, um, like even having. Um, you know, direct media and advertising uh, experience? um, Because having that sometimes comes with a layer of privilege. Can we Mm -hmm. look at transferable skills instead? Um, Looking at, um, you know, does ageism play uh, a role in some of that as well? Can we take someone with transferable skills who's maybe a little further along in their career, but wants to make a career shift? So I think you know, um, everything is symbiotic in that way. When you live a purposeful life, um, the work that you do outside um, of your nine to five hopefully adds color to and, and uh, contributes to um, the work that you do in your nine to five, and vice versa. So it's it's been really great to just have sort of both facets um, uh, really sort of play into each other. It, it's helped me learn and, and grow a lot personally.
0: A lot of what you're talking about when you when you talk about diversity um, pressing issue today. Right. And yet when you're talking about some of the efforts of four A's, you're talking about, you know, how do we move upstream and solve the problem for tomorrow? Right. How do you, how do you think more long-term develop that, that talent pipeline? How do you, you know, diversity, obviously it's, uh, this is a, uh, a, uh, hot button issue. Um, we can
1: speak one, very candidly. One of those, <laughs>
0: one of those unnecessarily politicized things. Yeah. Um, you know there's always of course this risk as things like you know the the merits of esg come under attack by you know uh investors and shareholders and it, you you always have to wonder hey is this um is this an effort that can disappear tomorrow how how challenging is it for you as a leader to balance the need for wins today to demonstrate progress versus the need, of course, to think more long-term, look at uh, upstream solutions, but of course, running against the risk that there's some reversal in focus on issues of of diversity.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think, especially in the DE&I world, it's it's hard to think about change. I mean, in any profession, right, it's hard to think about change, but there's also something really exciting about it. Um, and perhaps because I've worn many hats and changed careers, um, I, I I love thinking about these things and thinking about the future of DE&I. Um, and maybe first things first, it's not called diversity, equity, and inclusion anymore. Um, I, think, I think that the word diversity can be triggering in some ways and in some contexts. Hmm. So I think it's really thinking about um, at the core, you know, what's the value of the work that we do? Um, and how do we how do we make that um, future-proof in a way? Um, if you think about sort of more traditionally some of the work that DEI practitioners do, um, it's ensuring that we um, retain the talent that we have. Um, that we have a diversity of perspectives in an organization, and that's tied to innovation. And innovation is critical, um, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, <laughs> to, to success in the world of AI. <laughs> um, you know it, but, but then when you think about um, other facets of diversity, like AI and AR, uh, it's really thinking about how do you expand the scope of what dei is and to me I, I know we talked about DNI as a lens but it's really about the value of create um, taking an inclusive approach to whatever it is that you do um, and so I think we as DE&I practitioners in the DE&I industry need to really think about um, how how do we make that sort of in my opinion at least the, the, the core value of our work um, and speak the language of the, the you know a lot of the corporations and the people that hold the purse strings in those corporations um, by making ourselves invaluable. So I'll give you an example in partnering with our research team, um, we re- we launched this proprietary panel of um, a, a million um, individuals for our for our clients um, that are reflective of the U.S. population. Um, and you may know that uh, a lot of panels are very biased in the sense that um, panel this panel selection process is very biased. It tends mm-hmm. to be more white, more male. Um, but when you look through research, when you look at research through the eyes of um, taking an inclusive approach, um, and you acknowledge some of those biases, you realize that there's an opportunity there, and that's exciting. So what we did with OMG um, Signal is that we actually ran it through um, the census and looked at it through the lens of uh, the demographic um, makeup of, of the census, the U.S. census, so that we actually um, systematically uh, scrubbed out any uh, inequalities, at least from a percentage standpoint, where you're looking at things like gender, um, uh, household income, um, uh, and and even race and ethnicity, so that the the panel is much more reflective of the consumers that our clients are very curious about. So Mm -hmm. now we're talking about a more accurate data set. More insightful um, data, uh, in removing some of the noise that bias creates, and that has business value, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and even for the more traditional DNI practitioners who may have employee resource groups, it's very deliberate that Omnicom Media Group has business resource groups as opposed to employee resource groups because they're a group of thought leaders. So yeah. how do we tap into them? So very recently we launched our Culture and Insights Advisory Board where clients, new business. Folks are coming to us um, for intel on how to um, how to drive um, uh, you know how to solve for business challenges for their clients, but also how to how to insights on how to win new business. So I think we really just have to take a hard look at ourselves, think about the current state of um, where we are. From, from a political standpoint, from a DEI standpoint, and think about how we can kind of rise above, make ourselves future-proof, but still add value in the same ways that we have in the past, but just through an ex- expanded lens.
0: Yeah, it's 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 it's, uh, it's fascinating. This is how I I have often tried to frame uh, efforts around DEI. You know, it's 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 not in a, deep, a diverse or inclusive uh, or equitable workforce or organization is not an objective for which we're trying to create strategies. it is a strategy upon which we'll reach our objectives right
1: Oh yes and,
0: <laughs> and you know I, when, when you know, I run up against someone who wants to wave a, a woke flag at me, I, I always point to the institution mm-hmm. that I grew up in, which was the US military, arguably one of the most conservative institutions in the country despite what you know some politicians are trying to, to say today. And there there's two kind of hot button issues that I that I point to and how the the US military, again, deeply conservative institution, has approached. So the first one, been around for a long time, people love to to thrash about it, is climate change, right? Is it real? Is it not? Blah, 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 blah. Obviously the you know, the more conservative bent is that it's 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 made up. And for decades now, the US military has been spending a lot of time and effort building contingency plans for how to deal with climate change because for the US military it is very black and white it is happening and is going to affect war fighting capabilities in the future mm. so they're building contingency plans for it now they're not doing that out of a political agenda they're doing that out of a life and death necessity now you look at DEI efforts in the military highly politicized issue it's holding up literally holding up legislation uh, at a federal level and what's interesting is the military learned very, a very long time ago that diversity is critical to an effective organization. They, they have had, uh, you know, a very specific diversity recruitment quotas for the U.S. military academies because they know that having a, a black officer or an Asian officer or a Hispanic officer is really important to a black, Asian, or Hispanic soldier. Mm-hmm. Who is looking to follow the, you, you need leadership that reflects who you are. Otherwise, those those young minority privates and corporals are not going to feel like they belong in that military institution. And so, you know, when the Supreme Court recently struck down um, you know elements of affirmative action,
1: mm-hmm.
0: there you have it. They had a carve out for the US military academies, again, because it is undeniable, undeniable that a diverse uh, officer Corps is a more effective officer corps. And so I, I you know those that's kind of how I've I've always tried to frame it for people. in in my world is that um, let's put the emotion aside. Let's see this for what it is. It's a strategy that is effective at reaching some organizational objective. It is not the objective itself, but now I realize I got up in a soapbox and I'm supposed to be giving you the soapbox here, Sarah.
1: But you know what? Part of me is really happy to know that there is a plan for climate change.
0: <laughs>
1: Just in case. You know. well, I, I think we could use a
0: better one. But um, yeah, no, it's it, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, so what's the future hold for you?
1: You know what? I'm very much a feelings person. Um, I don't have much time for self-reflection these days. <laughs> I barely have time to shower. Um, but I think for me, my purpose has always lived in a feeling uh, in a knowing. So once in a while, you know, I'll check in on myself and say, um, do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel purposeful? Um, is this work making me happy? Is it challenging me? Is it putting me in a flow? Um, and if the answer is yes, then I keep moving forward even if it's not, Exactly um, my purpose, uh, but close to it. But if my answer is a no, then I have to rethink it. Um, and I will say that I think D E and I, I do find D E and I purposeful. Um, but I, I being very transparently as a as a human being, I, I do want to share that I bounce back and forth a little bit about um, how purposeful for me in this in doing this work in the sense of, you know, I've always wanted to um, create joy um, in create like illicit inspiration in others and I feel like a lot of the work in corporate de and I ends up you know being about battling systemic inequality um, but sort of like, you know, taking my own advice from earlier in the conversation, I think your work is what you make it. So with the your approach to DE&I is also what you make it. So can we focus more on allyship, um, intersectionality? Um, so I'm, I'm, and that's what we've done um, at, at, at OMG. So I'm, I'm, I'm always pulse checking with myself <laughs> to see if the work that I'm doing is truly purposeful, if it aligns with my purpose and the gifts that I have to share. Um, And, and right now it's yes, you know, but who, who knows, you know, check with me in a, in a year in a a month, even, or 10 years out. And that might change, but all all I know is that, um, I'm on this podcast about purpose. (laughs) I'm grateful for, for you sort of bringing, um, these wonderful topics to light. Uh, And I feel great about the work that I'm doing right now. Um, and so I just need to keep going, uh, and then, you know, hopefully, uh, things will unfold as they should
0: well it's it's interesting because it, it kind of brings the conversation full circle you know your your self-reflection around purpose and and you know ensuring that you're you're finding this balance um at work and with your gifts and all of that and, and you know it's it's clear that that's that's the role that you play for however many thousands of people you know that are your colleagues at at, at omnicon and it's again going back to this idea that um you know that that purpose isn't the end it's the means to the end right when you when you think about what's the business case for the work that you're doing it's you know happy fulfilled uh mm-hmm. purposeful employees are employees that are going to be more engaged they are employees that are going to be retained over the long run reducing cost increasing cohesion all of those things so i i have no doubt that you're an important part of of that strategy over there at omg um so we covered a lot. I'm not sure that this conversation went at all like I thought it was going to, to go, but that's exactly a good type of conversation. Right. Um, is there anything right. that you'd like to share with with people that are out there listening before we start to close it out?
1: Um, you know, just don't just like I, I've oh, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm really preaching right now and I certainly don't want to overstate um my own importance in my organization or my perspective, but um, I've learned a lot throughout the years, and I'm humbled by the fact that you know um, society, our culture, our, our upbringing puts guardrails um, around who we who we are, who we feel like we should be, around our professions, around the things that we should want, should care about. Um, but screw that, <laughs> you know. I think that life is too short. Um, and we really need to um, pursue the things that we love, um, even if it means failing um, and flailing, uh, because um, otherwise, what's the point?
0: I love it. I love it. Well, um, we're going to start to to close here. Um, one thing I'd like to do is make a, a donation to your favorite charity. Um, you, we've talked about a couple here today, but Sarah, why don't you tell me where I can send a gift as a thank you for coming on and sharing your story.
1: Amazing. Okay. So actually a good friend of mine, um, owns an organization called think Chinatown. Um, and it's think all or of think, think T H I N K Chinatown. Um, okay. and she supports sort of, um, the Chinatown community here at New, in New York, but also really um, tries to elevate um, the work of mom and pop shops and the different enclaves within Chinatown, um, and it's it's tremendous work. I mean, um, there are a lot of the folks that sort of built New York City <laughs> in some senses. They're, they're my ancestors yeah. and folks that have paved the way, but I think that their, their efforts in a lot of ways are being overshadowed and overshined mm-hmm. Um, very understandably by commercialism um, in um, maybe not understanding or having as much English proficiency. So mm. she's really shining a light um, on the various cultures and, and um, making that a really interesting and, and fun experience um, for for people to, to come in and, and want to participate and, and understand. So I would love for you to donate to that.
0: Awesome. I'm going to do it right now. Great. Um, I think it's a great organization I, I think that the you know the history of of this country um clearly uh biased and, and uh, you know i think we often forget the contributions of of people from all walks of life and building what it is that we enjoy here today so i i love i love what they're doing um sarah thank you so much for joining today this was a, an incredible conversation appreciate the work that you're doing um and thank you for being vulnerable today i mean you shared some incredible stories Uh, You didn't shy away from uh, opening up and uh, that always makes for a really compelling conversation. So, uh, you know, we at Groundswell and and all our listeners here at the Rising Tide, uh, thank you for your time and also for your efforts and all the important work that you're doing.
1: Oh, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a wonderful day.
1: You too.